0: Hello, and welcome to the Battle Cry podcast with Mark Meckler. Catch the original live broadcast Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. Go to conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. Happy Sunday evening, everybody. Of course, again, this is the Battle Cry. I'm your host, Mark Meckler. Super glad to be with you guys. I do love being here on Sunday nights. You know, on the, on the Sunday nights when I can't be here, we can't have these conversations, I really miss it so i'm always glad to be home always glad to be able to connect with you guys i appreciate you watching and sharing this with everybody you know and what i try to do for those of you who are new to the battle cries i just kind of try to give you my takes on the politics of the week a little bit of what's gone past a little bit of what's going forward and always a summary of convention of states because i know you know really that's why you're here not you're here for me you're here for convention of states i think tonight we're joined by our, our official mascot Levi back there on the couch. Sometimes you can't see him. He blends in, right? He's almost a perfect blend with the couch. Uh, he is my Great Dane, seven and a half years old. He's He's been loyal throughout the movement, just like you. So make sure you always look for him. By the way, sneak preview. We have a new puppy coming and another Great Dane. We'll pick him up on the 16th of May. So it won't be just Levi anymore. He'll have some little bundle of joy torturing him By that point, the puppy will probably be in excess of 20 pounds, uh, 10 or 11 weeks old. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be a little chaotic around here. But we like chaos, so it's all good. All right, let's get rolling with our substance here. Tonight's theme is be honest. It's not always the easy thing to do. And this is really, really important. In any society, based on the rule of law and the idea of self-governance, honesty is at the root of that. And if you go back to the American founding, one of the things that you hear is you hear the founders say, I believe it was Adam said, that our constitution was written for a moral and religious people and is wholly inadequate for any other. And part of the reason for that is our system has an underlying fundamental premise that people are generally going to be honest. So what's that got to do with morality and religion? Well, um, being honest, if you value being honest, that's a moral value, right? That's a moral judgment is that he has value. And from a religious perspective, it's fundamentally important because people, from my perspective, generally speaking, are so we are always, we're all sinners, right? And that means we are prone to lying. And what keeps us from lying in the public sphere is the idea that God is watching, right? It's what you do when nobody knows you're lying or when you can't get caught for lying or when there aren't consequences for lying that matters and people who are religious tend to lie a lot less. Why? Because we know God's watching even if nobody else knows even if nobody else is judging us, even if those around us would be comfortable with us lying in a sort of a ends justifies the means thing, we know morally it's wrong and religiously the theologically we're being watched. We're being watched by God who's always there. He knows what we're doing even when other people don't know what we're doing and so our entire society based on the founders understanding and the framers understanding was built around this idea that people have to be honest and i think we have lost a lot of that in our public discourse we've lost a lot of that in our legal profession our legal profession and the laws and rule of law are based on the idea of honesty right if you think about a trials intended to ferret out what the facts are who's being honest who's being dishonest these are fundamental things there's also another layer to it. And this is why I said, be honest. It's not always the easy thing to do. Then we think about lying as dishonesty, and certainly it is. But I also think it's speaking up when it might be uncomfortable for you to speak up. right? Speaking up when somebody says something that's just outrageous or ridiculous, you honestly speak what you believe and what you know to be true. So for example, right now, we've got a movement in this country, a large, powerful movement which is telling you that men are women and women are men and both are neither and everybody can be whatever they want, right? And and there's 57 genders. Well, that's a lie. That's not true. That's not God's truth. It's not biological truth, which by the way, is God's truth. It's not genetic truth. Again, by the way, that is God's truth. There is a genetic pattern that says you're a man or a woman. There is biology that tells you that you are a man or a woman. There's chemistry in your body that tells you you're a man or a woman. And men and women are different and one cannot be the other. And so we're going to hear in the media, you hear it all the time, Walt Disney Company promoting it, Nike promoting all these other companies promoting transgenderism, right? The Leah Thomas swimming scandal. Those things are all fundamentally dishonest. They're not true. So the question is when you hear it, do you say something? Do you step up and say, that's not true? It's not biologically true it's not theologically true it's not true according to genetics and i'm going to call it out because it's dishonest that's not always easy but i would say that's what you got to do i think one of the hardest places to do that for a lot of people especially older people my age i'm 60 and up we have grown kids i'm blessed my kids are conservative but what if you live in a family where your kids are not necessarily conservative What if your daughter didn't go to Hillsdale and she went to UCLA or some other woke university, like most of the woke universities are in this country or most of the universities are. And what if they came home with a bunch of woke philosophy? Are you willing to speak against that? And I know it's hard because some people would say, look, it's the dinner table. My kids are visiting. I don't want to have a fight with them. I get it, but it's not honest. You're no longer having an honest discussion with your kids. I'm not saying you have to fight I'm just saying when people say things that are fundamental lies, that we have an obligation to be honest and speak out against those things. And only when we do that, only when we're not cowed by the other side telling us we're not allowed to say that stuff, only when we do that can we win. If we don't fight, we can't win. And fighting requires intellectual honesty, and it requires the boldness to speak the truth. So our theme this week, be honest, especially when it's not easy. All right, let's go to President Biden because we always have to go to President Biden. Every week, I mean, this is every week, and frankly, it's almost every day, President Biden demonstrates his complete mental incompetence. And I, I don't say that to make fun of him. I think it's horrifying. I think it's really terrible. I think it's a spectacle for the world. I think it's elder abuse. But take a look at this clip of President Biden who can't even get through a 30-second statement. of uh, ...that will enhance our underlying effort TO accommodate the Russian oligarchs uh, and make sure we take their take their their ill-begotten gains <laughs> we're going to accommodate them <laughs> we're going to seize their yachts their luxury homes and other ill- begotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy yeah kleptocracy and club klep- the guys who are the kleptocracies <laughs> but these are bad guys. Man, that is bad. That's just bad stuff on so many levels. One, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. He can't can't say the word kleptocracy. Yeah. I mean, he can't even finish it. Then he calls them kleptocracies, the guys who are kleptocracies. That's all bad stuff, and it's demonstrating his mental incompetence. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Uh, But it's also bad because what he's demonstrating is a total disrespect for the law. This might not be a popular opinion, what I'm about to say, but, you know, we have a little thing called due process in this country. You don't just go out and, quote, unquote, seize people's, quote, unquote, ill-begotten gains. You can't do that. There is rule of law. There is process for these things. And the idea that the federal government is just going out and seizing stuff randomly at this point because they believe these people are kleptocrats, that's not rule of law. That's not honest. And remember, we, you might take glee, right? I think the kleptocrats are probably really bad people. I mean, I don't know them. I haven't looked into it myself. I'm making an assumption. So before I did that, I'd want due process to understand what they actually did. What laws are they violating? But the bottom line is, if we don't do that, then what are we? We're no longer a constitutional republic. We don't believe in rule of law. We're operating dishonestly. And by the way, they may come for the kleptocrats now, and they may come for you and me next. And if we applaud, oh, yeah, go after the kleptocrats, and we don't believe in the rule of law for those who are unpopular, those who might be bad people, we don't believe in the rule of law for them, then there's no rule of law for us. We know there's no rule of law for Joe Biden. So what's the... What's the actual answer here? What do you do about Joe Biden? You, we have the 25th Amendment, which says that you can remove somebody from mental incompetence and his cabinet can do that. It takes somebody in the cabinet to initiate that process. They have a vote among the cabinet and they can vote to remove him for mental incompetence. They should do that at this point. It's very, very, very unequivocally clear that he has no damn idea what's going on. They're not doing it. I think the proper remedy is we don't have the right to remove him for mental incompetence. That's not what impeachment is for right? Impeachment is for high crimes and misdemeanors, but we have the right to impeach his cabinet for not doing their job. They were given the 25th amendment to protect the country from a president who was mentally incompetent. They're failing to do that, in my opinion. And I think we ought to impeach them one by one. I'd love to see the Republicans do that. We need to start using the remedy of impeachment as actually appropriate. And in this case, it's actually appropriate. So I would call for the impeachment of members of the cabinet who are not moving to remove him for mental incompetency. That's an approach you might not have heard elsewhere, but I think it's something that Republicans ought to look at. All right, up next, uh, again, on the theme of dishonesty here is Biden has a nominee up for district court right now. Uh, Her name is Nasrat uh, Chowdhury. She was nominated for the federal bench and she, in her testimony this week, actually openly, I would say, brazenly admitted to being a liar. Weird, right? Let me explain what I mean. She has said previously, and she in a speech at Princeton, that every single day unarmed black men are being killed by the police in America. I want you to parse that. every single day, three hundred sixty five days a year, unarmed black men, being killed by police in America. Blatantly, provably, easily proven to be untrue. And she knows it. And she was asked about that by Senator Kennedy. And what she said was, well, when I said that, I was just saying it in my position as an advocate. So I guess that means that I'm supposed to, as an advocate, as a grassroots activist, I'm supposed to be able to lie with impunity and not feel bad about it. And this is part of what I'm talking about as a culture of dishonesty in America. In other words, she was saying, look, I know I'm being nominated to the federal bench now. I know that we would be bad if I was a liar on the federal bench. So she actually didn't even say that, but that's what she was implying. But in that other job, oh, well, lying was just part of the job. I mean, I did it. I did it because it was just, and she's the term, well, that was just rhetoric I was using. In other words, dishonest rhetoric. She acknowledges she was lying, and in a way that inflames horrible racial tensions in this country, well, I would just say she's disqualified from sitting on the federal bench. I would never vote for somebody who openly advocates lying as an advocate for a particular position. You know, by the way, as a lawyer, that gets you disbarred. So I think actually what she's admitting is a disbarrable offense. She's admitting to lying in public for to being dishonest And as a licensed advocate, as a lawyer, as an attorney at law, that is a disbarrable offense. So there's zero chance that Nusrat Chowdhury should be on the federal bench. But this is the culture we live in, where she can boldly and brashly say she lied and she's kind of proud of it, it sounds like. Okay, moving on. In the theme of the truth, or lack of the truth, it appears that the Biden administration, via the HHS, uh, and we heard this from Secretary Mayorkas of the HHS, is now having a quote-unquote ministry of truth. I say that that's obviously from George Orwell's 1984, but they're essentially having a department, a board of misinformation, I think they call it, and disinformation to root out misinformation and disinformation in the United States. The head of that board is somebody by the name of Nina Jankowitz. Okay, now it's going to be a very important position. She's going to decide to go after people or not go after people based on what she deems to be misinformation or disinformation. I want you to see a clip of the person who's heading this board. Information laundering is really quite ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious. By saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet, so. Disinformation's origins are slightly less atrocious. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, idle a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. When Rudy Giuliani shared that intel from Ukraine, or when TikTok influencers say COVID can cause pain, they're laundering disinfo, and we really should take note and not support their lies with our wallet, voice, or vote. Oh! I had to take a drink because I'm choking on that. All right. First of all, if you're a serious person and you're going to be engaged in public di- uh, discourse and you're going to be Uh, quote-unquote public servant, don't do what she just did. (laughs) Don't make an idiotic TikTok video. Don't act like an adolescent. Even if you're an adolescent, don't do that, right? That's ridiculous. But notice what she's doing is she's mocking people who took positions that turned out to be true. Right? She's saying Rudy Giuliani was peddling misinformation. Referring, by the way, to the laptop, the Hunter Biden laptop, that now everybody's admitted is true. So she is the one peddling misinformation and she's the one going to make the decisions what's misinformation or disinformation. This is outrageous stuff. Now, I want to be clear. I do think that there is time when foreign governments are peddling bad information. They're trying to influence domestic politics and there should be U.S. intelligence agencies looking out for that and doing stuff about that. But when you start to talk about U.S. citizens doing, speaking, doing the basic constitutional right, exercising the basic constitutional right, and we're going to have a government agency that looks into that? Yeah, no. What they're looking into is you and me. That's it. That's all they're after. This is going to come to no good. So I don't think this should be allowed. I think there should be a lot of outrage around this, but I would take it one step further. The Department of Homeland Security, which is headed by Mayorkas, uh, that should be disbanded. That is a leftover, a vestige from 9-11. It was a bad idea. It was done in a moment of panic and we should get rid of it. It shouldn't exist. It should be gone. And the next Republican nominee to uh, be president should talk about doing away with that. Congress should be doing away with that. We need unanimity on the right to do away with the Department of Homeland Security. Its functions, anything that are mandatory could be done by other agencies. All of them are toxic by the way too. So we're gonna have to gut all of them as well. But you know again about honesty we need fundamental honesty in this country this is super important we don't have it in regard to basic language stuff this is another thing we have where there are certain things you're now allowed to say not allowed to say being a racist doesn't mean just that you judge people on the cunt or on the color of their skin instead of the content of their character now only white people can be racist they've redefined this and and it's really white men are the target here so they're redefining language all the time we cannot let them do that it's again fundamentally dishonest we're going to live in a self-governing country we have to be honest we have to be able to communicate with each other there has to be a linguistic foundation for that communication where we all agree on what particular parts of the language mean here's a great example in washington state right now they've now made it so that it is not legal to refer uh, the state has banned the the word so hard for me to even spit this out ban the use of the word marijuana you know why yes that's right because it's racist because it's used somehow to impugn people of latin american origin according to legislators there in the crazy obviously drug-addled state of washington so now you're not going to be able to say it and by the way that's going to make everything better right Their argument is that it's used to discriminate against people of color primarily hispanic people that's why so many people are in prison for marijuana and she says for marijuana use which isn't the case they're in prison for dealing marijuana when it was illegal in other words they're in prison for committing a crime not because of the word marijuana what i don't even know what we call it now if it's not marijuana i think they're going to call it cannabis right because i don't know i guess that sounds more medicinal to them or official to them it's is it weed is it pot is it mary jane is it marijuana like i don't think it really matters this is just a dishonest use of the language it's a manipulation of language just like they try to do with all this gender crap non-binary non-conforming cisgender whatever they want to call it do not let them manipulate manipulate language in any way shape or form when you hear it when somebody speaks it to you that's again a place to do the difficult thing but be honest that's not a real word that's not a real thing there's no such thing as non-binary there are men and there are women there are genders actual genders there are actual sex tied to biology and genetics don't let them get away with it washington state not only making them get it uh, letting them get away with it but making it the legal standard. Mark Meckler is fighting every day to call the first ever Article 5 Convention of States to drain the swamp once and for all. Join Mark and millions of other Americans by signing the official petition at conventionofstates.com slash pod. And now back to the show. So what's the way forward? You know, it looks like now, and I'm traveling all over the country, it looks like now Republicans are going to take the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. They might take the Senate in Washington, D.C. I think they probably will take both things look really good in the states all over the country just in colorado it looks good it's just in minnesota it looks good i think it's going to be not just a red wave but a red tsunami so what does that mean for the country because my experience is when republicans take power all they do is work to retain that power they don't do anything with that power i think there's something that republicans in congress should do And I think what they should do is one of the primary mechanisms for enforcing honesty, for making sure people are truthful, for making sure people enforce the laws, is I think impeachment is the methodology. I think even if they can't convict because they don't have enough in the Senate to convict, I think the House ought to begin a bunch of impeachment proceedings. I think one of the impeachment proceedings they ought to start, and it's probably the place where I would start, is with Alexander Mayorkas. I would say that the House ought... To issue in, uh, articles of impeachment against Mayorkas, again the director of um, the home of all Homeland Security, right? I, I think he ought to be impeached. The border is not secure. He's thrown the border wide open. He's not enforcing our border security laws. Millions of people now pouring into the country. Right? It's eight thousand a day. I think they said they expect to go up to eighteen thousand if Title Forty Two is lifted. Those are the laws. And the executive agencies are supposed to enforce laws. He's not doing his job. We should file articles of impeachment against him. And I think we ought to go through the departments one by one. If they're being dishonest, if they're not doing their jobs, if they're failing in their jobs, they ought to be impeached. We ought to do the same thing, aiming at federal judges who don't follow the United States Constitution. There's a lot of judges out there that blatantly are partisan and they simply don't follow original intent. They don't follow the Constitution. We ought to impeach a few of them. And I think this ought to be a widespread remedy. We had to start going after federal officials who are not doing their jobs, who are acting unconstitutionally, because what else is our remedy? You can't remove federal officials without cause. Most of them, a lot of them are, are uh, non-political appointees. A lot of them are lifetime employees. We need to remove them and impeachment is the way. I would also say that when Republicans take over in the next administration, There needs to be a really big house cleaning. There's a Republican president that comes in in 2024 elections, to take office in 2025. He needs to gut the departments of all political appointees. I would be so radical as to say you go into the upper ranks of non-appointees of career folks in these agencies, and if you can't terminate them, if that process doesn't work, then you just remove all responsibility from them. You take away their phones, you take away their computers, you say you're welcome to come to work, we're happy to keep paying you, but you no longer have any responsibility or authority. That's what it's going to take to clean out the deep state. That, of course, and Convention of States. So let's talk about Convention of States because it is my favorite subject because it's you, you guys are the ones making it happen. 5.2 million plus people out there in the field participating in Convention of States. Last week, actually earlier this week, sorry, I was in Denver, Colorado. We had a rally in Denver on Wednesday. It was fantastic. Had a whole bunch of people out on the Capitol steps. Had a chance to hang out with a bunch of the grassroots, have lunch, met with a bunch of legislators. I'm really excited about Colorado. Now, if you're from a state other than Colorado, you probably look at Colorado and think, Rocky Mountain High. right? We talked about this crazy legislation saying you're not allowed to say marijuana anymore. But I'm going to tell you, there is a conservative wave rising in the great state of Colorado. I met a whole bunch of leaders there. I met a whole bunch of legislators that are conservative. And I think they're going to flip their Senate come this cycle in 2022. Uh, They could even flip the House of Representatives. They've got a lot of great candidates. They've got a lot of momentum. There's money flowing into the race. I saw a lot of stuff there that gave me great hope for the state of Colorado. So don't count states like Colorado out. Here's another state you might be counting out. The week before, I was in Minnesota. Again, great grassroots, great rally, great legislators. Love these grassroots teams. And I also love the fact Minnesota split legislature, one House Republican, one House Democrat. They're gonna flip that back this cycle. I'm convinced. I saw the momentum on the ground. I heard what people were saying. I sensed the enthusiasm from the people. I know the money's pouring in there. I know we've got people on the ground. And to the extent we legally can our people are participating in these elections it's always according to whatever the law of the state is a lot of different laws in every state we spend a lot of money and a lot of time complying with that stuff but i think what you're going to see out there is i think you're going to see at least half a colorado flip you're going to see a flip in one house of the minnesota legislature that'll put them in the column where both houses are red we are going to see a tsunami In 2022. It's going to be extraordinary. Trust me, it's going to be bigger than the Tea Party movement. I know what I'm talking about. I was there in the beginning at the helm, uh, partially at the helm of the Tea Party movement. I worked with a lot of you in the Tea Party movement. 2010 was the biggest wave in modern American history. This is going to be bigger. So be prepared, be working, be honest, right? Even when it's hard. All right. So we're going to go to, oh, one last thing I forgot as an update. North Carolina is probably the next place. To keep an eye on for Convention of States. Uh, We've already passed the House. We're pending in the Senate. If you're in North Carolina, call your senator. Tell them you want them to pass Convention of States. Senators are playing some games there, and it's going to be up to you and I to intervene and stop that, especially if you live in North Carolina. You know anybody who lives in North Carolina. Contact your senators right now. They have a short session. It starts in May. We're going to have to be really engaged. We're going to go to QA, and we've got video QA. We've got written QA. Just to remind you, conventionofstates.com forward slash battle cry that's if you want to submit a video and i love getting the videos from you guys so conventionestates.com forward slash battle cry video under 20 seconds who you are where you're from quick question you got to keep them short because the show is short or you can email your written questions to battlecry at cosaction.com so video conventionestates.com forward slash battle cry email battlecry at cosaction.com all right we're going to start uh first it looks like We have a video from uh, Mike Arnold in Rhode Island. Go ahead, Producer G. Hey, Mark, my name is Mike Arnold. I'm a district captain from Rhode Island. And my question is, if you could have one of the founding fathers come back and sit with you, who would it be? And what is the question that you would ask him on your show? Oh, man, I'd love to sit with so many of them for different reasons. Thanks, Mike, I appreciate that question. I think because of what we do for a living, uh, it would probably be George Mason. I'm super interested in Mason. He was one of the founders that spoke more than anybody else at the Constitutional Convention in 1787. I think he was second or third uh, speaking the most and he brought he was one of the authors of the Virginia Plan which became the foundation for the Constitution. And of course, specifically I'd want to ask him, "Hey, exactly what were you thinking when you proposed the second clause of Article 5?" I think we know Because he said so, I'd like to know what the reaction was in the room. We imagine people laughed when he proposed that second clause of Article 5, because he asked the question, are we so naive that we believe that a government that becomes a tyranny will ever propose amendments to restrain its own tyranny? I think they laughed. I want to know, did they actually laugh? And I'd love to ask his advice on how we use it right now. He's a very interesting figure. He actually voted against or against the Constitution. He wouldn't sign it. His name's not on it so when it was signed on september 17 1787 he felt like it gave too much power to the central government i was actually in the library at williams college in new york where my nephew graduated from a radical far left uh on radical far left college but in their library they have an incredible collection of founding documents and in the middle of that sitting between two panes of glass is mason's personal copy of the constitution that he used at convention. And all over the back of it are his notes talking a lot of it about why he objected to it and why he did not ultimately want to put his signature on that constitution. So I'd love to have that conversation and sit down with him. Probably second choice would be Sam Adams. I just think he's such a fascinating figure. He understood narrative. I'd love to talk to him about how did he frame up the narrative for the American Revolution. I think we have a lot to learn. I've learned a bunch of it from reading all the books that you see behind me. A lot of Sam Adams stuff there, a lot of Mason stuff there, and all the founders, but love to sit down and have that conversation. All right, up next is a video question from Dave Serta, who is a volunteer in Wisconsin, a recently passed date. Now, since the second part of Article 5 of the Constitution has never been used for the purpose of the states proposing amendments to the Constitution, have we thought about how Congress could use a resolution of concurrence to refuse any amendment that came out of that process. Yeah, so I'm going to summarize the question. I mean, we definitely never have used the second clause of Article 5. And what Dave wants to know is, could Congress thwart the process somehow? And the answer is no, because it's very clear from constitutional history. It's very clear from the Federalist Papers. It's very clear from Mason's proposal of Article 5 and the unanimous adoption, that the founders intended this process to route entirely around Congress to bypass congress right they didn't want congress involved the first part of article 5 gives congress the power the second part gives it to the state and it states and it's supposed to route around congress so i think it's pretty the the drafting intent is clear the historical record is clear i don't believe there's any chance for congress to intervene and to stop the ratification of any resolution all right i'm going to go to a couple of written questions and then we're going to close out uh, Dave in Nebraska asks, is there any way for people with nevarious intent to hijack COS and cause damage? And the answer is no, absolutely not. They can't do it. The processes prevent it. And in the end, any uh, ratification requires 38 states. And so when people are concerned, I always tell them, look, if you can come up with an amendment that you as a conservative wouldn't like, and you can name the 38 states that would ratify that, go ahead and submit that here. And I'll talk about it on the air, but I'm making that offer to millions of people for over nine years. Nobody's ever been able to do it. So, nope. You could have people with nefarious intent. The process is sound. It was built by the founders, and they were experts in process. Eva Brooks asked, "Where will the convention of states be held?" Well, Congress names the time and place for convention. So likely, they're D.C. critters. They'll name it for D.C. But then the conference will gather. The convention will gather. They will gavel in. And I've been told by every state leader I've ever talked to that they will then take a vote and they will move the convention somewhere to the middle of the country. So Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Dallas, Denver, some kind of a place where maybe where there's a hub airport, Omaha, Nebraska. I'm not sure where, but I'm pretty sure it won't be held in Washington, D.C. Last but not least, Marianne Nurse says, what's it going to take to get to 34 states? real simple answer, you. It's going to take you. It's going to be by the efforts of great patriots like you 5.2 million people are already involved i think we need 30 to 35 million people involved that means you have to tell your friend fam- family and your friends you have to learn about convention states you have to know enough to motivate them you have to spread the word and think about it. if we already have 5 million people in if each of you brings in just say six more people like you if you take personal responsibility i'm gonna have six people sign the petition Six people would mean that that's enough to get us to the necessary 35 million. So the key is, it's you. You need to join the movement if you're not already in, go to conventionofstates.com forward slash take underscore action, you see it there. Make sure you sign the petition, then click on the take action tab. And what that's going to do is it's going to allow you to volunteer. You can force term limits on the federal government. You could force a balanced budget on the federal government. And we can say, no, you may not pack the Supreme court. No, you may not have a department of education no you may not have a department of energy or environment all those things were intended for the states so remember when you hear things being said that are dishonest your take action be honest even when it's the hard thing to do and join conventionestates.com make sure you click on the take action tab and get involved all today god bless you guys we'll see you next week on the battle this has been the podcast version of The Battle Cry with Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com pod and become part of the solution that's as big as the problem. Thank you for listening.